Hey guys, before we go into this week's episode, I just want to shout out a free app that's coming to the scene, 360 Medics. Think Google for Medics. You get access to a drugs database, medical tools, news, revision aids, and a place to store your own notes, and they promise to always be free. They've got a giveaway running at the moment for an £80 Amazon gift card. Sign up now with the code scrubbed in to be in with a chance of winning. Let's now get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have the amazing Dr. Malamokin with us. This is the second time we're recording because the first time it completely, completely messed up. But I'll introduce you um, to our listeners. Mala is an amazing um, individual who has achieved so much at such a young age. She's been described by Vogue UK as a rising female star. She's an award-winning healthcare innovator, writer, researcher. The list goes on forever. She hosts the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Podcast and is currently the head of development or head of market development at Selen, um, which is a pain management startup. There's so many things you want to talk about with Mala, uh, but welcome back to the show again for Ranti. <laughs> welcome to the show. Back. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah, there was so much weird, you know, wise words and we really loved talking to you. So we thought we had to do this so everyone else can, can share in. Um, as is described in tradition, I know you're doing so much wonderful things now. Um, tell us how it all began. Tell us when you decided as a young girl, perhaps, or if there was a particular moment where you thought, do you know what? I want to grow up and I want to be a doctor and bring us up to present day. Yeah, um, good question. Um, I I don't think there was a particular moment. I think that it has been a particularly strange journey of just constantly failing and then seeing what other things are out there. So mm. <laughs> um, I think we all go out with like a plan in our hands um, as probably naive teenagers and then mm. more even so more naive 20 year olds. And then yeah i mean i just had loads of different lessons along the way which kind of weaved me back on track if you see what i mean i think one of the biggest things i've learned along the way as well which i'm sure we'll get onto, is that when you're in the medical field there are so many shiny things shiny things everywhere shiny distractions which really distract you completely of course so Mm. i've had my fair share of those which you'll probably see from my cv the shiny distractions Mm. but um i feel like i'm back on track now and i kind of have a lot more focus so yeah i'm really excited to talk to you guys again that's that's a really good point because when reading your bio and you know the about section of your new website it is full of shiny things it goes from vogue forbes 30 under 30 to like nasa (laughs) to now kind of working at a startup which has done incredibly well, just looking at the tweets recently, um, to kind of being a writer and a speaker. And I've recently seen you on a a bunch of different podcasts. Um, So we want to kind of talk about how or what advice would you give? Because you initially said there's a lot of shiny things and distractions. Mm. Do you think playing with those toys per se was a good thing in hindsight or a bad thing? And what prompted you to now kind of buckle down and focus on one or two things? explain that part of the journey yeah I mean for me the the I needed to go through that process um Mm. some people might not need it but I needed it because I really just didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and so Mm. because of that and because I don't know about you guys but I didn't feel much support of if you don't do medicine then what else what Mm -hmm. else is there and because there wasn't that support I felt like I had to go out and do my own research so that's why I tried so many different things and another really strange thing that I encountered is is people expect you if not medicine to do something that's equally as shiny they don't Mm. like you couldn't you couldn't sack off medicine and go do something which isn't considered by society as Mm really like you know prominent which is a really strange pressure to have so I tried lots of different shiny stuff like it's the same kind of thing you see when everyone leaves medicine and for their elective and goes to a consultancy firm of which I will not name but you know (laughs) and and people think that that is the elective it's not it's just a another equally prestigious style thing Mm. so um 
yeah I think I, I had to go through that process but Definitely. maybe others are a bit more clued on <laughs> and don't need to go through it <laughs> but maybe also my due diligence of the market will help others not to have to do it mm-hmm. when it comes to these sort of shiny things accolades different um, experiences that you've had um, I'd actually say possibly for a lot of medical students, it's the opposite. Maybe a lot of students are looking at your bio and thinking, how on earth do you get on these lists? How on earth do you win these awards? How on earth do you get these interns, internships and experiences? How did you actually come across these opportunities? Where do they come from? Another great question and something I know you boys are very good at, which is you never go through the front door. So the front door is just always locked. It's just always shut and there's, you know, it's just too difficult to go through. Don't do that. It's a waste of time. Well, you can try it. You probably can get rejections galore, right? But like, Mm. you've got to find that back door and the side doors and you've just got to find other entry points into the system. So Mm. if it's something that you want to do, I mean... (laughs) Like, for example, if you want to go to NASA, you're going to try and knock on NASA's door. They're going to say to you, no, you're not a U.S. citizen. So what, are you going to give mm. up then? Mm, or are you yeah. going to try and find some other way to get in? Like, and that that is it's a key of persistence and trying to be smart by the way you get in. That, those two things combined, I think, is, is the way that anyone, regardless of whoever you mm. are, I mean... I don't want to sound very Will Smith in pursuit of happiness, but you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. So, yeah. Have you guys found the same thing when you've been talking with people? I think over, I think the conventional approach has always been try the front door, go into Mm -hmm. the website, fill in a CV application process, go into the assessment center or to hear rejection. But um, it's the concept of the third door, which is the book I recommended last time. Um, even if there isn't a door, you can kind of break in for the kitchen window or somehow make a door. Mm. And I think the ability to not give up, be persistent, take it on the chin and find an alternative way if you really do want to do it um, is important. And to be fair, if you listen to everyone's stories, it is a combination of side doors. No one really got in through the conventional standard route or anyone that's achieved anything amazing out there had, you know, a little detour, a little alternative route to where they are now. Um, so definitely do you agree? You know, you know what it is? I, I feel like the educational system and the system in general that we're in te- teaches and trains you that get these grades, get these degrees, and then wait your turn and you'll get in. And you find that there's a sea of people trying to get in through that door, we're saying that front door. I think that's why it's really hard to get through it. There's just so many people and you're all, how are you any different from someone else who's got the same grades, the same degrees, the same experiences, the same internships? How are you different? Mm. Uh, I think we differentiate ourselves on the relationships we build with people, um, which I think is what builds uh, access to those other doors. I've noticed it particularly in the difference between myself and my friends that perhaps had parents that were born in the UK. Um, and, and what I've noticed is that, um, when you are children of immigrant parents, you are directed to find stability, hence the accountancy route, the law route, the, the medic route, the stable career paths. But also what our parents did is that they worked hard as immigrant parents to enable us to have choice to have choice so of course stability is something that they want for you because they didn't perhaps have that or they saw they grew up in an environment where stability wasn't a thing but you know they would be saddened if they didn't feel that you had that choice and so one of the things that i always preach is is that Yes, there are these stable career conventional paths, as we're saying, there is the front doors and the traditional grad schemes and all of these things. But our parents didn't work this hard for us, you know, and come this far for us to come this far. Yeah. You know, it's for us to take it and use it as a springboard and go off and create our own narrative, our own journeys, right? Absolutely agree no, with you. I love that. And I think that is very, very true thinking about our parents, my parents, for them, the priority was a stable income, stability, making sure we all got a good education. And I think it gets lost in translation, you know, 
okay, now you've got good education, what do you do? And it saddens me. And I had this conversation with someone else where they studied for seven years, did two years of foundation training. And now for them to kind of leave medicine, it's like, well, you wasted so many years. But then it's equally, for someone that's worked so hard, do they not deserve to be happy in their day-to-day job? Mm. Just because they've studied seven years. If anything, not to kind of put out there, is they deserve to be even more happier having put in the time, right? Mm. So that's a discussion for another day, which I don't want to go into. But <laughs> I just mentioned something and I want to talk about it with you. It's There is a culture in medicine in a lot of places that wait your turn. You're not old enough. You're not seen enough. You don't have a CV long enough. How does someone like yourself land a job in a startup in such a kind of management position? Did you feel, I'm not ready for this? What were the response when they were hiring you? Because the roles that young people are taking on now were roles that you'd have to be like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, a few years ago, whereas now it seems to have flipped on its head. So tell us a bit more about that. It's a really loaded question because there's actually this group called um, Gen Z VCs, which I think they'll be very excited about that I spoke on this podcast about. But, you know, it started off in America. It's a group of people born after the year 1995 and they discuss um, investing, which traditionally, as we know, an early stage investing, you know, it's very closed off. And it's a thing mm. that is seen as, you know, you, you do your dog work at the start, but you, you grow the skill set and, and you become a, a serious investor as you age. But what can we offer with our age, mm. with our insights of the landscape, with our age you know now that is actually really powerful and something i've learned really well from this group is that we have a lot to offer so yes as we say it there are some skills and some management practices which you're only going to learn with practice and i'm and i you know of course there's so much i need to learn there's so much you guys need to learn. we're all going to learn so much you know we're just Absolutely. at the start but as we are people that understand communication within our age group. We understand how you can access your target audience. We are from our podcast, right? We understand healthcare because in, in a basic sense, because we've done the medical degree. Mm. We understand it in practice. We've had a bit of time, you know, working on the wards. We understand how the convergence of business happens within healthcare because of speaking with these people, working with these people, et cetera, et cetera. Now we start to gain skills that are actually really unique. It doesn't matter what age you are, you're starting to get these skills. Now compound that with the skills that we have of understanding how TikTok works, how Instagram works, social media, how personal branding works, which is something that, you know, Gen Gen X and boomers weren't taught, how Mm. the impact of LinkedIn, all of these different things now that we can understand really well, Mm. what is the value of building a community, a newsletter, having the audience come to you instead of, you know, all of these things. Now that is our generation. We understand that so well. And it's not that the others don't, but it's, this is a skill set that's really particular to us because we grew up with it and we must harness those skills not feel put off with it but one of the things that we always talk about is the value of personal branding and the reason why that this is a really touchy subject with a lot of people is because people used to get fired because of their personal branding Mm. right yeah people get hired because of their personal branding yeah i literally did a youtube video i saw people publicly you know this whole building in public everything's public now you know i've just got fired or i've left my job who's looking to recruit an amazing cmo and they're they're glorifying themselves within an hour like hundreds if not thousands of people like you know check out this guy check out this guy and he literally landed a job through the dms on twitter and (laughs) being online having online presence personal branding is basically a cv that updates in real time people know what you're about there's Mm. community around you it's such an amazing way. And I do agree, it is so, so important. And coming back to what you said, we do have skills and assets to offer that individuals that are probably more senior than us in terms of age and experience may not have. Uh, so I do agree that we shouldn't really wait our turn type of thing. Concept of diversity, right? Mm. Diversity isn't just the color of your skin or your, um, you know, 
it's also your age because diversity and age in the company is so important. You need people that have 40, mm. 50 years of experience within the business. Mm. But you also need people that are consumers that are down mm. at the bottom, that are understanding from the start how people are buying in today's world and can understand yeah. the target audience of young people as well. I mean, there's a place for everyone. That's you need diversity of thought. Absolutely. In terms of now personal branding, right? There's a lot of people out there, they think about personal branding. How do you actually create a personal brand so how have you gone about creating your personal brand um, if you can give us the secrets of course <laughs> but there's, no, there's no secrets right here's one thing right that frustrates me is that no one's hiding the secret of personal branding mm. you can google it and the first five links will teach you how to do it you know you can yeah. youtube and the first five people will explain to you over video the value and the use and how to do it Personal branding doesn't happen overnight. It's the same as that you can't buy Twitter followers. It's not organic. You must, yeah. you know, put in the work in it. And so you mm. get the basics, right? You get your profile set up across the board. Then you work out what your personal mission is. And mm. then you champion it across the board. Now I have so much to learn on it as well. But what I try and do is that I, I just try and, you know, give what I can to the opportunities that are around there and to the platforms that are there. But I think that, you know, I'm not an influencer in any of the sense, but what I am is that like, I, I try and, I try and create my narrative as my own because I don't want someone else. Well, I think we talked about this last time, right? There's like the classic mm. trick if, if you're in a pub and you hear someone on the table next to you saying, oh, I just listened to the, to the podcast, right? Like these two blokes, like I've heard one of them does this and the other one does that. What, what would you absolutely cringe at that you heard them say about you? What would you want them to say? Now, if you don't put that out, then they're going to make up something. So you need yeah. to give them your bio. <laughs> Otherwise, you can overhear something you really don't want to overhear, no. right? I think, yeah, we need to control the mm. narrative, particularly about our life, right? And someone said, you know, we need to make it story worthy. But you, you mentioned opportunities. There's a lot of medical students now that are kind of coming towards the med school. And I'm sure, you know, when you start medical school, it's one way. Towards the end, you start to kind of realise there is a disparity between clinical practice, working on the shop floor per se, and what med school is like. The bubble's about to burst. And there are individuals that probably kind of smashed hours in the library, you know, they are not revised, first centre ranking, going to work in some fancy hospital in a fancy place. And they probably rejected opportunities. Tell us the importance of saying to, yes, to as many opportunities. What, what has that meant for you? And what have you learned off the back of it? Hmm... I think actually, I want to flip your question because I think you should apply for as many opportunities as you can because you're mm. going to get m countless more rejections than you are going to get acceptances. Mm. But saying no is harder than saying yes. Mm. Okay. So once you've got those things in front of you and you've got hopefully one or two offers or, you know, you've then got to make that decision. If everything considered, you've met the team, you've got the offer on the table, you know who they are, you know their mission. Is it a yes or is it a no? And at that point with that opportunity in your hand, that's where it gets tricky. Okay. Mm. And you can't feel obliged to say yes to everything. That's something I mm. learned very in the hard way because I burnt myself out. Right. And so you guys, you guys know it as well, but like anyone listening, you have to make sure that apply for everything, try as hard as you can to get as many opportunities, but you did that to give yourself options. As we mm. were saying before, mm. once you've got the options, you need to then decide what you want to do after. You can't make that decision before you've applied though, because when you're starting off, as you say, you've tried, got to try and almost scattergun approach, apply for everything. Yeah. I actually spoke with a med student. I hope he doesn't mind me uh, speaking. Um, maybe a month and a half ago, and I said he he reached out to me for a coffee, as I always recommend. I say people just reach out for a coffee. You know, you got nothing to lose. Just reach out for a coffee. We spoke, and I gave him the advice of contact the CEOs. 
work out your mission, work out which companies match it, then reach out to the CEOs. Don't fill mm. in those contact us forms. Don't reach out to middle management. Reach out mm. to the CEOs because no one ever reaches out to the CEOs because they're so scared. Yeah. He did it. I forgot. I forgot I'd even given him this advice, right, if I'm <laughs> honest. Mm. And a month later, he messages me saying he's got two offers. Two oh, offers. Amazing. And... I, I, I'm saying this because I think that it's so important to highlight that when you've got your personal branding, when you know your mission, when you're willing to just reach out to CEOs, when, you know, happily for a coffee, you will get opportunities yeah. made available mm. to you because it already stands yourself out that you're willing to do that. Everyone's mm. got a pipe dream. Everyone's got ideas of grass is green over the other side of medicine. If you're willing to put the legwork in and go and reach out to someone, now that's where you stand out. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Absolutely. That is. I don't know what type of dog that is. That's straight exit C-suite straight smashing through <laughs> the glass door. Um, <laughs> talking about, I think that's great advice. And it, it made me think, okay, <laughs> who do I need to contact? That's what I was just thinking. Who do what, I need to contact? What am I going to do? Tell us a bit more about selling. Tell us about what your role entailed and a lot of curiosities around what does your average week look like? We know what clinicians do, we know what consultants and doctors do, but tell us about that aspect of your life. Sure. I love selling. I think it's amazing. I um, first preface that. <laughs> so I've been working here for a year now. Um, I joined when it had just been seed funded. Um, so I was like, you know, there were four of us to start. Now wow. there's like, yeah, there's still, it's still a small, we, we're a small main team of about six people, but then we have an extended wider team of contractors, which is now like, you know, 40 plus people, which is getting, is getting bigger by the day, right? And there's clinical team, tech team, et cetera, et cetera. My, at Selen, um, our mission as a company is to improve the health and well-being of people living with chronic pain. And chronic pain is something that just is unsexy. It's unglamorous. And so people have neglected it. You know, the insurances don't cover it. The people are left on benefits with it. And they're not really given the support. The waiting time is about two years to see yeah. the pain. You know, yeah. it's really bad. At it. And all the data shows us that if you can intervene early, you're going to get better outcomes. So why aren't we doing it? But because it's not been glamorous and sexy to innovate in before, it's kind of been abandoned. And so there's two things that we look at within the company. One of them is the future of beyond opioids. Um, what's going to happen next? You know, most of the medicines that we know for pain don't actually work in the way that we hoped that they would. I mean, gabapentinoids, opioids, all of the things that we, we normally used to even paracetamol, right? So mm. what's the next generation of meds? And we're looking at cannabis-based medicines for that. And we're working mm. with Project 2021, and Professor David Nutt on that, which is really exciting. Mm. And the other side of the business is clinical delivery. So how can we make it accessible, uh, easy to afford, well, easier to afford than your normal mm. Harley Street private clinics for pain? And um, the main thing, how do you make sure that patients don't feel a abandoned when they have pain mm -hmm. because you know discharge back to the community what does that mean yeah. so how yeah. do you give yeah, okay. it, it, i know right and, and and so how do you how do you um how do you continuously support people and the way that we do that we have our the cqc granted us the care commission granted us the uk's first online clinic for chronic pain we have no in-person presence we do everything virtually and doing that you set up a clinic almost like I feel like I'm in the futuristic film but like you set up a clinic that is online you don't mm. just offer offline consultations online which is just like speed dating to be honest mm. instead you build the whole clinic experience online from everything right like including like how you give out leaflets and, and like, yeah. talk about, like everything is online and so it's brilliant right but once you've got that, then we're now about to, you know, we're, we're pulling out all of our other tools that go alongside it. So how can you do digital tools to support pain management? How can you have asynchronous messaging within the clinic for patients that are, you know, are a patient, they can get advice when they have flare-ups, mm. how do we have a flare-up tool? We have deep breathing exercise, you know, all of these different things, even like 77 episodes of mindfulness recorded by a clinical psychologist, right? Mm. 
but the main point of it is is that you take a very clunky outdated system of where patients are flung from pillar to post for two years to get an answer you bring everything into one place the whole mgt team clinical psychologists physiotherapists nurses doctors occupational health kind of in one place and you give a patient a team and that mm. whole team is there at the consultation they see you they create a care plan for you and there's none of that back and forth anymore and they are mm. i've spoken for ages now but i love it and I, i'm really excited <laughs> No, it really does yeah. sound wonderful. Like, um, I've kind of, while I was in the IT job, I had um, an anesthetist who kind of do the pain management clinics and he was kind of talking about it. And it is the traditional injections, opioid-based therapies, just the back and forth. And he was telling me about some of the, the conditions. Sometimes the pain is so bad, it's debilitating, right? And it's not something that we can see physically. But to know that you have like a whole team, like a group of Avengers out there looking out for your pain, I'll, this is why I love the startup mm. world, love the stuff you guys are doing, kind of the transition of forget trying to fix it all. Let's focus on something that's cool and, and have a real impact in real people, mm. um, which is lovely to hear. What, what's been the response from the actual patients? Because when I come across patients who have those sort of syndromes like fibromyalgia, and they have complex pain syndromes, I agree. They feel like no one wants to listen to me. No one actually wants to see me because they know that I will tell them about I've got pain pretty much across my whole body. Uh, what's been their sort of feedback and their response? First of all, as you say, so rightly, these patients have lost hope. So when you launch, then of course they're going to be skeptical. Oh, were well, you just another one that's going to promise the world and not, right? Yeah. And so credibility has been so important in this journey, including, you know, we've recently announced that we have um, our, Dr. Aaron Basker on our team, who's the British Pain Society president. You know, Amazing. we've got Bindrin, who just wrote the pain-free mindset book. We've got Dr. Benjamin Ellis as an advisor who sat on the NICE guidelines for chronic pain. And we're building, you joked about Avengers, but we actually, the Lever Clinic team, we call them the Avengers because they are a genuinely our Avenger team. So what we've done is we try to take this, you know, expert team from across the UK, mm. across all the different MDT approaches. And that seems to be, you know an incredible thing but the patients care about being listened to and that's really been the biggest thing so mm. when and and proof is in proof is in the pudding right and this patient said you know i've never experienced this type of, of type of treatment before where someone mm. is so is switched on about my care they care so much about me and i have this team that they call me back so you know like i mm. really think that um the proof is in the pudding here you know we have other patients who've who've just said so loudly and proudly that for the 60 minute first appointment with the team they've never felt more listened to in their whole life mm, yeah. and that is so upsetting that it's got to this point that this is their first time but really that power of just hiring a team that care what is the problem uh, like with the problem i see with the gps whether you're in a and e or whether you're in the wards it's a factor of time, isn't it? We're so pressured at work. GPs have 10 minutes to not only see the patient, do the documentation, send off the referrals and move on. In A&E, you've got that four hour target. When you're on the wards, you're one doctor looking after 30, 40 patients. Do you think it's, it's, it's just that giving the patient their deserved time and how can the actual larger system at play, the NHS, possibly even learn from you guys? I love this question because I'm really, really almost confident in the answer is that mm. clinicians want to do their job of helping patients. Mm. You could imagine your day as like a junior doc, right? But you didn't have to do any admin. <laughs> All you had to do was go and see the patients. Don't sell me a dream. The, the... That dream, that <laughs> dreams. <laughs> Imagine the type of care you could give them, right? Mm. And that is what we've tried to do within the clinic because we have hired a support team that supports the clinicians to, to just deliver their care. They don't have to worry about anything. We've put the best tech in place 
so that the from the start so that the team can focus on that and any roadblocks that come in their way that they can't deliver the care to their utmost ability because of time because of anything because the system's clunky we change it overnight mm. because that is the most important thing if they feel like they can give their utmost to care the, for the patient then they can no one goes into medicine because they don't want to care for the patient they just get bogged down because there's so much bureaucracy mm. you know politics unnecessary like systems in place there is so much admin to do if you can scrap that out wow right and that's where i feel like online clinics are really going to be key for employee happiness and why we've managed to to build the lavender team is because mm. we can provide them with perhaps a working environment that unfortunately the clunky systems of uh, of the nhs perhaps can't no that's amazing absolutely absolutely yeah. and i think yeah you're stripping about and it all stems down to a fact you just want to have unhindered care towards the patients and just listen to them that's all amazing. <laughs> i think that was an amazing and it's great to see individuals similar in age to ourselves similar backgrounds kind of doing such amazing and tremendous work and and i want to kind of follow on you also managed to work with some of the most kind of established institutes and organizations such as the royal society of medicine who have been around far longer than we have uh, how did this digital health podcast come about how did you become a mm. podcaster is it something you proposed or did they kind of reach out to you how did that come about it's interesting i tell this a tiny bit differently but i'm going to tell you the really long like the the unabridged kind of you know (laughs) because i feel like this is what you're wanting me to tell you so in in med school i saw that there was a conference from the royal site of medicine about getting people into med school okay Mm. i looked on this i saw that there was a slot for a student speaker to come and speak, right? So I pitched myself for it, simple as. I found out who was organizing the conference at the RSM and I said, hey, do you want someone to come and speak? Because I can give some insights about how to get into medicine. This is what I've done before and this is how I think I can help. I landed the job, I landed the speaking slot um, after lots of back and forth. By the way, this normally doesn't work. This was one of the rare occasions where this worked, right? Um, And then I missed my train on the day to go up to the the talk. I bought a new ticket. I like went up there. They rescheduled my time for it later to accommodate it. I was like, I was so nervous, right? I was freaking out. And I get up there and I deliver this talk. And then I was like, oh I'm like really happy and it's all going really great and I'm just kind of seeing if there's any any photos from it or like anything and then they asked me if I want to do the same in London Mm -hmm. so I do the London talk um and again I hadn't taken any photos on that day of myself doing the talk so I uh on Instagram I like wrote in and I asked okay do you have any photos of me doing this talk uh, by the way if you get bored of the story you have to tell me right but I'm trying to <laughs> I still haven't even got to the podcast yet right <laughs> now they replied to me and I kept that I made a really good relationship with that person who provided me with some photos for it that I could upload to my Instagram now she was called Fabiola mm. a few years later when I was like I really want to do this podcasting thing but I want to do it with someone else's name and I want to learn you know I saw the RSM hadn't been doing a podcast so I wrote to her and I said hey, you might remember me have you ever considered starting up that podcast again and we went for coffee at the same time I was having talks I reached out to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council president to see if I could get onto the council and the conversations just started to marry up as you know what Mm. can you offer the council I said well actually I'm having a talk about this we could make it specific for the council and do a digital health podcast and that could be what I add to the council and a year on whilst we're building the kind of the the premise of the podcast and we remember then we launch Mm. 
And all of that came from something completely unrelated. And the reason why I tell you the long-winded story is because you never know yeah. where ones yeah. will lead to, ever. Absolutely. You get another train. Get another yeah. train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when there's opportunities like that, you, that's why I say to people, I, you know, even when it's starting something and going online or doing something, it's not about, oh, I'm not really like this role or only like 70% of it. It's the opportunities that can arise, the doors that can open afterwards. You never know and you never know unless mm. you try. So when people have that, that you know, they're, they're on the crossroads, should I do this, should I not, it's just do it because mm. you, you'll regret not doing it. Um, and minimising regret for me is a massive, massive thing. I don't want to be 60, 70 years old and be like shit i wish i'd done x y and z mm. um I, I think that at the same time whilst give it your all apply for it all we have to remember so mala's approach was she was giving value i think when we go for these opportunities we have to remember it's not just a take take yeah. take relationship when you reach out for a coffee think about what are you offering True. that individual that you're trying to network with and build a relationship with um so i took away that the fact that you sat over a coffee and said what you could offer the council. Um, and that's what married up the opportunity of the podcast with what you can um, give back. So and I guess it's the same thing with the, the medical student that reached out to the CEO. I, I bet it probably wasn't, hey, give me a job. I'm a medical student. You know, mm. I'm God's gift on this earth. I'm sure he probably like, here's my skill set. Here's what I can do for you. Is an opportunity to work for you. So I do agree. It's about value given to the community. Agreed. But sometimes coffees can be in itself a really lovely thing because mm. you're you're acknowledging to that person that you think that their that their advice would be really nice. And yeah, sometimes actually absolutely. that in itself is really good. What I want to say though is when you were talking about your value, mm. I have a really big pet peeve of someone coming to me and saying, Hi Marla, I would like to be a product associate or an operation mm manager can you help me get a job in that because i'm really organized and i think i can do it and i have skill set of xyz that really annoys me and i mm. always tell people you must come to me with your mission so i want someone to come to me and say marla i have a personal mission of trying to um to improve the lives of people living with cancer um mm. by helping make by, by helping their homes be more accessible or by helping pair people up with you know, with appropriate carers, because I've seen firsthand that people don't get the care that they need, or I have a personal mission of, mm. of trying to understand healthcare economics in a better way so that we can amplify projects that are actually financially sustainable. Do you see what I'm saying here like that? And then they come mm. to me with that. And then they say, Oh, and by the way, because of that, I've got the additional skills of X, Y, and Z that can support this this is my mission now once i've got their mission i understand who they want who they want to be what their track is i can start pairing them up with the right people yeah you can't saying blindly that you want a job i'm like you haven't thought about anything here because companies spend so much time companies spend so much time creating their mission yeah. people spend yeah. so much time creating their own mission for their personal branding if you're not going to even acknowledge that then they don't want that you, you need to acknowledge that yeah no, definitely I agree and I think it is the best way to approach it saying that what would you describe as your mission or life calling um, yeah so my mission is to help improve healthcare inequalities using technology done amazing that is what I do and that is what I love doing and mm. healthcare inequality stems in a whole branch of things through you know accessibility through uh, I'm not even going to list it you understand where I'm going with that but you know it, the technology side of it just happens to be because I love I love I love playing with gadgets so yeah. mm -hmm. and, I, and I love testing and going on demo days and like I find yeah. that really fun so no, no. <laughs> that's amazing do you feel once you've kind of established I know when you're a bit young you, you don't have enough experience so you don't know what you want to do but have you realized once you've know like okay this is my true calling, this is what I'm really happy about, this is what I'm passionate about. It's kind of made you a bit more focused, a bit more kind of keep your head down, smash it out as to, you know, there's the general, I want to help people, I want to have impact, these buzzwords that are thrown around. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, I don't need to go into it. it yeah, it, I mean, 
I had the same, I quit medicine. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was blindly looking mm-hmm. for a job. And it wasn't until I used that Steve Jobs quote of you need to, you need to have hindsight, connect the dots. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's when I started working out what my mission was. And I, and I ask you guys, did mm-hmm. anything come to mind when I, when I was talking about my mission for you? Mm. I think for us, it, it, in the beginning, I think the podcast helps. It was first kind of documenting our journey, then realizing that we wanted to share stories of incredible people in healthcare, which isn't done, right? You've got the Oprah mm. Winfrey's and, you know, all the amazing billionaires, millionaires, but who gets to share the stories of individuals like yourself or other mm. clinicians? But more than that, it's, I realized that there are lots of people trapped in medicine and they had nowhere to go. They didn't know what to do enough for. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could share the stories of other people that were in a similar situation just to inspire and help these individuals up? And which is what I love doing. Because your mm. journey, I'm sure, will appeal and resonate with a lot of young listeners that are like, do you know what? She took the leap. She's doing this and she's so happy. That's our mission and that's what we want to do. Um, and I love it. Exactly that. Medicine is not a trap. And we're, we're showing the world through other people, through you and through all the other guests that come on. I think people feel a lot of the time that you do the five, six years and it's a crucial sort of time period of your life and that's it if you don't do it yeah what else are you gonna do yeah unhappiness seeing colleagues unhappy it just i don't know it just gets me elderly patients and seeing colleagues unhappy <laughs> and that feel being trapped in a job just because you know society says you've worked so hard you need to stay in there you're this service and you know this phrase right now you're turning your back on the nhs and you know you guys care about money it just frustrates me a lot and i, I just want to do something about it mm. I yeah. Wrong, yeah. No, no, I love it because <laughs> I wrote down what I thought your personal mission would be before we started this podcast. <laughs> well, because I knew we'd get onto this, and <laughs> I thought you guys would say, I'll read it out, um, that you would want to inspire others on their career path by building a supportive community. Mm. Yeah. And can you see that as outsiders that's what we view what you guys are doing as mm-hmm. so yeah. means your personal branding is on point yeah. amazing you're doing and that's what yeah. we hear you're doing right mm-hmm. now if i had come out and said something <laughs> it's not it's not exact but it's similar mm-hmm. to what i said right i liked what you were saying about making people feel happy and not trapped but like the kind of the core concept of it is that you are building a supportive community in my of course yeah absolutely yeah yeah as in hearing your story is a support network and i know and we always leave it what's your advice how do people reach out to you because i know i'm in a position to kind of advise individuals but if there is someone out there like i like what she's doing she resonates with me how do i reach out so I, we, I do agree and you've hit the nail on the head you probably said it better than we could have said it that's just for the podcast as well right you guys yeah. might have other personal mm-hmm. missions for yourself and that that's where it's going to get interesting because how do you marry up your podcast mission with yeah. your own your own mission yeah you know, maybe one of you is particularly interested in looking at um i don't know as we were saying before like cancer or something or oncology yeah. so how can mm. you maybe like a series you can do on inspiring cancer pathway stories or something yeah. like how can you marry up now and join up both of your missions with the mm. podcast and use yeah. it to amplify your own missions as well right mm. and it's, it's funny we're, we're, we're working on something um kind of um for us education changed our lives and i'm sure you know when mm. your parents came over they don't have the best of jobs they grew up in a cancer state Life could have went a very different way and I value education a lot. It changed my life overnight. No, it's not overnight, but you know what I mean. And I want to kind of make that accessible to everyone else, kind of the power of peer-to-peer learning. And mm. I feel education's a monopoly. Agree with me or disagree with me. There are large institutions and organizations that are controlling it and it's not widely and equally accessible for everyone. And that's what we want to change. So we're kind of working on a platform to kind of socialized education <laughs> and i guess that does fall into the the strap line Mallow just said building a community that's what we want we don't want it to be a top-down system anymore we want it a system where it's us supporting each other freely in our careers in our education guiding each other 
um, in a peer st- uh, relationship style rather than a someone who's a wise old person from 70 years ago telling us what to do. It's more of a, hey, I did this. What do you think about that for you? So watch this space. So yeah, I'm sure when it launches, or when it, we'll be in touch. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited. I mean, like you guys, were, we're gonna have to talk offline about the future of education. I think that, that is like a. I mean, we could, we could we could crack some beers and just sit and just chat about what we think. You know, the future of education will look like because I think that this pan pandemonium has really exposed quite a few um, yeah. few flaws in the system, right? No, absolutely, definitely, definitely agree. Um, I wanted to talk, I know we're jumping around because you've done so many incredible things. Tell us about Vogue, Naomi Campbell. Tell us how you became a, a rising star. How, how yeah. does a medic background, I know it was in 2018, but um, how, how did that happen? <laughs> this is an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the Forbes list and yeah. then um, I got a DM in my tweet. Check your DMs, everyone, which was um, like some really cryptic thing about like, would I be open for some, like, can I, can I provide my email address? There was an opportunity for me. And mm. I was like, well, <laughs> why not? Right? Like, why not? Mm. Yeah. And it was just this thing saying, oh, there's this magazine that wants to do this profile and like women in science and stuff. And we, we're going to put you forward. Would that be okay? Mm. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, do we want, I don't mind, like, put me forward, go for it, opportunities, right? And then I, like, forgot about it, and then, like, a couple of days later, get this email in my inbox, like, it was, like, embargoed, (laughs) it was, like, (laughs) can't tell anyone, and I was, like, oh, God, what have I signed up for, right? Like, Playboy, like, what's happened, (laughs) like, and so, and I opened it, and it was, like, um, Marlon Morgan with Vogue, Nike UK, Naomi Campbell, and I was like, "Wow!" So I was, I was, was so confused, and I was on campus working at that time, mm. and my now fiance was in the library, and I like genuinely bolted, like you know, you don't have time to like log out or like save yeah. your work. Mm. I just got up and ran, and I went to him, and I was like. I think I'm going to be in Vogue with Naomi Campbell. And then, and then we were both like, we're in the library, but we're like so excited, right? So you can't scream or anything. We're just like, mm. this is really cool. And like, I hadn't really read it or processed it. And then I just like, called, I called my dad and I was like, Vogue. And he was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, you're like five foot, and I was like, yeah, no, I know, right? Like, and then, and then he's like, what was it? He's like, have you finished your coursework? And I'm like, not yet. And so then I called my mum, and my mum was so funny. My mum was at work at the hair salon, and she wasn't picking up her mobile. So I called the app. You never, you, I'm sure oh you guys have this. You have your mum's work number, which you only mm-hmm. emergency, right? Yeah. And it goes through to someone else, picks up, and we're like, oh, is my mum there, yeah. please, right? Yeah. Except for I'm like 20-something at this point. So I'm like, hi, it's, hi, it's Paveen's daughter. Is my mum there, please? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I think your daughter's on the line. So mum's like, what has happened? Like, yeah, she comes yeah. over and mm. I'm like, I'm going to be invoked with Naomi Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> So that's how that happened. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, no. I think the story to leading up to being in Vogue is probably a, a more fun and entertaining than kind of the Vogue itself. But no, that's amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's amazing. The world is a wonderful, wonderful place, and the things we can do and the things we can achieve, it's. Mm incredible and i love speaking to individuals like you sharing your stories in the hope that it does inspire so many others um we're all similar age and i'm looking forward to what the future holds in five ten years time we might do like another podcast yeah um, and see what we've run up to i'm conscious of time and i know we've this is the second time we've dragged you 
to record with us. But any advice, you know, anything you want to end with, it can, you know, it can just be something like have fun. But any advice you'd give to our listeners um, will be quite nice to Anna. Um, I'd say listen to this podcast. Uh, continue <laughs> to work because I know I found it helpful. So I'm sure mm. others will find it helpful too. Um, reach out to the CEOs. Sort out your personal branding. Mm. And if you don't have a LinkedIn, do it today, basically. Yeah. Go Amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't really know anything else. Like I just no, that's fine. networking, keep enjoying, build your own community, and leverage this community that the podcast is. Every single episode that you listen to, I always think you shouldn't listen to a podcast mm-hmm. without following up on it. Absolutely. Every episode needs a follow up, mm-hmm. and so. You should listen to the episode and then you should reach out to the person that was there. You spend an hour, you know, listening to it or however long it is. And then you should say, I just listened to this podcast. This was the highlights I pulled out. Would love to speak to you about this. Mm. Can we organize a coffee? Saying that, how they reach out to you? Yeah. If you are open to being reached out to you, because <laughs> I imagine you're super- LinkedIn, LinkedIn, or don't try me. <laughs> to get hold of Mala, you have to make a LinkedIn, LinkedIn. and you have to send her a message. Otherwise, can't get hold of her. Um, no, very in good. fact, that, that med student point. I told you about had specifically yeah, yeah. made a LinkedIn to reach. Out. Oh wow! No, I had I had um, a medical student message me on kind of Instagram because I think that's the easiest platform to get started right? mm. Um and I, was, and I said, yeah, that's cool. And I said, have you thought about Twitter? And he's like, yeah. And I said, Twitter is an amazing place to learn. And I said, whatever you do, just make a LinkedIn, even if you're not using it. You may be so junior in your career, you know, you have to kind of fill in the experience. I said, just get out there. Start following, connecting with like-minded individuals, people you aspire to um, and build on it. And I think, I'm sure, you know, when you're 18, 90, coming into med school, LinkedIn is the least of your thing, right? You don't yeah. care about the business world. You just want to be a, a doctor. But um, yeah, that is my word of encouragement. And I think it is an amazing resource. They should teach us about this in med school. That's the stuff they're lacking, you know? Not med school, school. School. <laughs> school. They should teach us all about all of this, but we never get taught. Um, so, yeah. Now, I'm telling you, in the future, like, it will be our online presence, our Twitter feeds and social media feeds. Mm. You have to hand it in. With, you have to give, there's always a URL now, right? So yeah. Look for your and everything and will be linked, right? Yeah, we're we're exactly. looking over to China right now that's got their digital currency. Yeah. What's going to start happening now in the UK with, you know, how, how are we going to be looked after as a society or how will everything be tracked I mean, we'll we'll start seeing things with the vaccine passport and stuff but yeah. as everything gets linked up as your as who you are as a person and your what you contribute to society starts getting tracked more it's exactly. ever more important that you control that narrative in the best yeah. of your ability when that we have our in 10 years time i hope our, all of our bitcoins and ethereum <laughs> think is suddenly fruiting right I think, I think, what was it? I think I put a bit of money in Tezos or something. I'm like, I heard it somewhere. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but no, it'd be very, very interesting. Um, but yes, thank you, Mala, once again, for kind of taking the time out. We always love speaking yeah. to you. Um, a face-to-face is much due. Hopefully, when, you know, lockdown eases, Absolutely. restrictions are lifted, we, we owe you a drink. Um, but thank you, and a massive thank you to our listeners. Uh, we hope to catch you all next week. Thank you so much, Mala.